Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily Pucks podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Teddy Schleifer. It is Thursday, July 7. And today, Dylan Byers is here with a report from Sun Valley, the exclusive media conference in Idaho. And later on, Ben Landy speaks with Eric Gardner about Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's legal drama with their hugely successful wine company, Chateau Miraval. We'll hear all about that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Welcome, everybody, to The Powers That Be. We're here on July 7th, Thursday, with Dylan Byers in rugged uh, nowhere, Idaho. Um, He's actually in Sun Valley, Idaho which is a, a allegedly an actual place the other 360 days of the year. Theoretically, people live there. Um, there's an airport. I'm sure it's beautiful. Looks pretty beautiful behind you uh, over, your, over your right shoulder. You can see a brief glimpse of Sun Valley. Do not see any tech or media moguls right there, but you have been uh, in their midst for the last couple of days, um, and you have a story up on Puck.News about what has been happening in Sun Valley, which is the what actually is this convert hosted by Allen Co., which is a uh, investment bank that every insider has heard of, though there's basically nothing written about it, uh, the bank publicly online. This is a place where media moguls and tech moguls kind of hatch plans or hatch almost plans or abort plans. Well, yeah, and I think there is this reputation, which I think everybody who's come here and written about it has long since dispelled with, which is that the deals don't necessarily happen here, but occasionally they do get hatched or the the seed of the deal gets planted. But most of the time what it is, is actually an opportunity to sort of post-game or pre-game the state of affairs in the business community. And it's not monolithic. There's not one conversation that everyone is happening. There are conversations happening among tech executives, and then there are conversations happening among media executives, and then there are conversations happening uh, among a mix of that group. And of course, you have people here from the world of sports, from the world of aviation, from the world, all, all different sorts of things. And there is a certain logic that for media reporters, should you even bother coming here because they don't let anyone into the lodge anymore. And I know even our own our, our own colleague, Matt Bellany and, and Lucas Shaw had a conversation in which they, uh, on, on Matt's podcast, in which they said, there's really no point in coming here. I would very strongly disagree. I think that there's no better time to go to a place where all of the people you cover are milling about willing to stop for five or 10 minutes and have a cup of coffee. And that in that regard, it's very much like shooting fish in a barrel. Because you can get people on the margins of the actual conference. I mean, people leave the lodge, you know, and and they walk about and and they're not, you know, they're all human beings. So yes, I would, I would say that. And I would say that it pays dividends down the line and, 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 has since the, the first time I came here five years ago. In terms of the conversation this year, and, and at least the conversation that's happening among the media sector of Sun yep. Valley right now, there's definitely a sense that the there's a new landscape than there was a year ago. Obviously because of the market, but even more notably because of the 
Netflix sell-off. When once Netflix subscriber growth sort of hit a ceiling and everyone got spooked, that coupled with the market correction has really changed the lay of the land. So a year ago, when people were thinking about what kind of M&A conversations might happen at Sun Valley, now the conversation has shifted to, could Netflix be for sale? Could Disney even be for sale? Because Mm. if you take where Netflix was when this conference was happening last year, they are down 66%, something like that, off of where they were. Disney, I think, is down something like 45%. So the entire landscape has shifted. And I think there are questions about Amazon, Apple, Silicon Valley has been very cautious about moving in too aggressively in the media space because it it entails a lot of headaches, not just the regulatory headaches it takes to get there, but it entails even running these companies that are tied as they are to linear business models and broadcast. It's just very weird and complicated and not something they, they want to get into just yet. But now you're looking at the price tag and all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, is now really the best time to buy Netflix when it's market cap is what it was something like five years ago. You know, if Disney is trading at $95 a share, is there a world in which in which an activist investor moves in and starts trying to position the company for a sale? Right. All of these things, which were previously unthinkable a year ago, are now all of a sudden ripe topics for conversation. And then the other thing and the sort of flip side of this is for a while, the conventional wisdom was that Netflix, the sky was the limit in terms of subscriber growth. And the more traditional media companies like Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery were playing at a disadvantage because they were tethered to a linear business. And so they weren't getting that coveted Netflix multiple. Well, now all of a sudden, if the streaming business is showing that it does indeed have a ceiling, now does it benefit you to have the dual revenue streams of linear, which is declining but still very lucrative, as well as streaming? And so one of, you know, they <laughs> to bring this full circle, they say you never, reporters never get scoops at Silicon Valley. But one thing that I got out of the lodge today was that Bob Chapek, who for a long time had been considering spinning off ESPN to help move Disney away from the linear business, has abandoned that effort because all of a sudden linear is, is once again significant to Disney's bottom line. And sports is the sort of linchpin of the linear business. So now all of a sudden, he doesn't want to sell or spin off ESPN. Dylan, so that, that's the conversation among the media companies that are there, the media execs. What is sort of the temperature from the tech players that are there? I mean, the Allen & Co. conference is sort of the, the meeting point um, for these two industries that are kind of adjacent to one another. What are you hearing from the Apples and the Facebooks and the Amazons who are sending their emissaries to Sun Valley this week? Yeah, well... Twofold. One, I should say that we're about halfway through the conference now, and I've been focusing heavily on media. And so I still, there's still a lot of tech folks who I want to talk to to get a sense of what they're thinking. So far, what I've been able to glean is that, and, and this is actually very much unchanged from years past, but there is very much a sort of awareness of the regulatory environment and in a way, I don't want to make it sound like it's nefarious or like it's collusion, but there is a certain way in which some of the notable tech executives here come together and kind of swap notes in terms of how they're dealing with governments. 
both the United States and Europe uh, and abroad. And some of those sort of larger questions that that have to do with regulation, with international growth, certainly with China. By the way, I mean, to, to talk about the bridge between these two communities, one way in which any talk of a Netflix or a Disney sale, so one way to sort of throw cold water on that is you're like, right, but let's say Amazon or Apple even had the appetite to move in and make a media play. And, I'm, and I really am not sure that they do. Could they do it in this environment in a Biden era when the scrutiny on the size and growth and scale of tech firms is already pretty intense? I'm not sure they think that they could. And then, you know, I, what I assume, and this, this has not been borne out by my conversations yet, but, but I've found this to be the case in the past, is that there's usually a pretty big focus on thinking ahead several years down the line in terms of where consumer behavior is going to be in and also in terms of where new technologies are going to be. I mean, certainly gaming, obviously, like the, the growth of gaming has not stopped at all. Um, if anything, it's accelerated. And I think... In the wake of Microsoft's acquisition of Activision, there's a lot of talk about what's going to happen to Electronic Arts, the maker of EA Sports. I think those are some of the questions that are sort of happening around here. Dylan, bring back, uh, bring back one of those vests for us. You know, uh, you know. That, <laughs> I've noticed less vests. There have been markedly less vests than in the past. Correction. No, which is weird. You know, it's and it's not always vests. Sometimes it's fleeces. What is the line between a vest and a fleece, though? Really, sleeves. Usually, just leaves. Dylan, thank you for coming by and uh, get back out there. Okay, thanks, Teddy. Welcome back. I'm Benjamin Landy, executive editor at Puck. And I'm very excited to be talking to Eric Gardner about a pretty amazing story that he wrote for us at Puck about the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie divorce, or should I say that the, the long tail after effects of this divorce, which have spiraled into a pretty fascinating saga of corporate intrigue in Europe. Eric, what's going on with uh, America's favorite ex-couple? Yeah, well, uh, let me start out by saying that, you know, these domestic squabbles are not usually the things that I focus on. I'm usually looking for for business stories or you know squabbles that that have larger implications. And here is something that you know has kind of like blown up bigger and bigger and bigger. It's been going on since 2016, so that's six years now. What really interests me is is this thing that's going on over the winery uh, Chateau Marival. This was a place in the south of France. They got married there. They, you know, they called it a home. Um, they purchased it in 2008 when they were they were still dating. But right before they got married, there was a little bit of a transfer of ownership stocks so that they'd become even owners in, in this business. Brad Pitt was very passionate about it. And he worked with some French winemakers. And, and the brand has become really big. It uh, has a very popular rosé. By some accounts, this business is worth hundreds of millions of dollars right now. But lo and behold, last year, she was kind of sick of it and, and she wanted to, to get out of the business. And negotiations between the two of them broke down. And instead of selling to him, uh, she sold to a Russian vodka baron. 
the king of Stoli and uh, <laughs> and that's like created a lot of hell. You know, Brad Pitt does not like this. He doesn't want a corporate takeover. He doesn't want this whole business to be run by this Russian. And now they're just in court fighting over this and it's a whole big mess. Yeah, this has gotten really ugly. The Stoli Group founder you're talking about is Yuri Scheffler. And Brad Pitt's lawyers are saying that he is essentially a reputational and business risk as a member of Putin's inner circle, um, or at least having connections to Putin's inner circle, which is something that Yuri adamantly denies. Yeah, I mean, uh, Yuri Scheffler, first of all, he points out that, that you know, Stoli is not produced in uh, Russia. It's actually produced in Latvia. He also says that, that you know, far from being, you know, a Putin buddy, where a Russian oligarch, um, that, that, you know, he was actually uh, left the country and for opposing Putin. But, you know, a lot of Russian emigres are saying that these days. They, you know, you're either like 100% with Putin or you're, you know, framing yourself as, as, as being out there. I think that, you know, basically, you know, when you're in this corporate war over something and something like this comes up, lawyers try to leverage what they have and they see, you know, something going on with, with a Russian these days. And you're going to, of course, throw in the war and that's going to get a lot of attention. Yeah. You mentioned that you had a source who reached out to you and sort of pointed this story in your direction saying that the Pitt Jolie legal drama makes the Johnny Depp Amber Heard story look like child's play. And it really is incredible how complicated all this has gotten. And, and you even mentioned that at this point, this litigation, which has multiple components, is spanning multiple countries and jurisdictions. There are lawsuits and counter lawsuits that at this point, Pitt and Jolie have, in fact, tapped international legal experts for support. They're talking to law school professors in France and other countries, and they've, they've hired some real heavy hitters in the legal world to represent them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's some of the biggest names in, in, the, in the law world. And right now, because the, the two are, are litigating overseas, there's a side component of this is that subpoenas have gone out in accordance with those foreign cases. And, and so American judges have to figure out whether or not to support the, the far, foreign cases. And so, you know, all these experts in, in international law and European law and French law and at Luxembourgian law have come forward to put declarations in. And, you know, the two sides are really like cornering the market on, on consultants and legal advice here. Yeah, the mind reels at the, uh, the number of billable hours that both of these two have racked up. But like you said, this is a, a international hit brand a rosé that, that's popular across the country. I, I know our boss, John Kelly, has tried it and vouches for it. And like you said, a, a major passion project for Brad Pitt and a huge business endeavor for him at this point. Do you have a sense at all of how this might resolve or settle if it does? Uh, as, as Mr. T once said, uh, my prediction is pain. Uh, I, I have <laughs> no, I have nothing beyond that. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do think that Yari probably has a, a good leg to stand on because, you know, he uh, has 50% of the company and that entitles him to, to certain rights. And I at least don't see anything that tells me that the transactions were, you know, have to be negated. Now, I'm not the biggest expert on Luxembourgian law, admittedly. So, so uh, what I do expect is that this thing will, will, will carry on 
um, for you know some time to come here. Um, there seems to be lots of different avenues. This is just one uh, one in terms of the winery, but there, there's stuff going on in terms of their custody and uh, you know the the main divorce proceedings too. Thanks, Eric. Your bottle of Miraval Rosé is in the mail. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 